This is The Ghost Light, the weekly interview podcast that shines the spotlight on theater professionals that don't normally see it. Greetings, friends. I hope your week is off to a good start, and I hope this podcast aids in that effort. We're coming up fast on the 2,000 downloads mark, and that's totally thanks to you guys. I don't have much of a marketing budget for this show, so it's largely word of mouth at this point. If you know someone that has an interest in the theater or in podcasts, let them know about my show. If you're already a loyal listener, consider leaving an Apple Podcasts rating and review. Those really do help out. However, something as simple as hitting the subscribe button on the podcasting service you use is also a great help. Likewise, you can follow me on Twitter and Facebook at TGLpod, or send me an email at theghostlightpod at gmail.com. What do you think of the show? Do you have a friend that would be a great fit? I'm mainly looking for designers, stage managers, ADs, and anyone who is interesting at the moment. If you fit the bill or know someone that does, please reach out. On the 11th episode of The Ghost Light, Shelby Ringdahl joins me in studio. Shelby is an extremely talented singer and performer, but is also known for her stint in the Miss America pageant and her philanthropic works. She also recently performed in Jesus Christ Superstar at the Muni, a widely respected outdoor theater, and speaks to her experiences there. Please enjoy. Shelby, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Of course, you're the second person to actually be in the apartment, which is nice because normally wow, I get these I'm over honored. the phone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so to get started, how about you just go ahead and start me when you got involved in the theater to where you're at today? Sure. So um, I grew up, I'm the oldest of three kids, and um, we are a very busy family. And my, I remember one summer, my sister decided she was going to quit softball. And my mom said, um, you cannot be a couch potato. You have to do something else with your summer. What do you want to do? And she, um, a very eager third grader, said, I want to do drama. <laughs> and like so, that. yes, yes, verbatim. <laughs> and um, so, being a good big sister, I said, you know, Sydney, I'll go with you to audition. So, my mom found an ad for Charlotte's Web being done by a children's theater in Columbia, Missouri, where I'm from. And we went and we were both cast. Uh, she was fair girl number one and I was <laughs> Miss Fussy. <All> right. <laughs> um, so, I think we went on to do somewhere between 15 to 20 shows with with trips, children's theater in Columbia, Missouri, and um, really got bit by the bug and did every show from high school musical to greased, you know, all the fun kid shows that you can do growing up. Um, and then I got into high school and really found that I loved to sing and did show choir, but also played volleyball and basketball. And the joke was that my car was always in the parking lot um, at Rockbridge High School because I would get there at, you know, seven in the morning for show choir and leave at nine after basketball practice. So um, I was a busy kid, but I knew my my passion and my, my gifts probably um, were in the arts. And so I hemmed and hawed about college and uh, both my parents are in sciences. And so I thought, you yeah, maybe I should be pre-med. Maybe I should go the chemistry route. And my dad, actually, who's like a 
football fanatic and chemistry nerd said, you know, Shelby, I think that, you know, you would love being a doctor, but I think you would love performing more. Mm-hmm. And why don't you pursue that first and see what we and you can make of it. Mm-hmm. So um, auditioned for a bunch of schools and fell in love with TCU and ended up down there and um, had a great time, met some wonderful friends such mm-hmm. as you and oh. your lovely wife, Sophie. So honored. <laughs> <laughs> And then moved up to the city and have been trying to pursue the Broadway dream and um, have been very lucky to be involved in various productions here and a couple tours. Uh, my One of my favorites was probably being Snow White in the Disenchanted National Tour. Mm-hmm. Um, it was fun to be a sassy, brassy Disney princess. <laughs> yeah, a different uh, role for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was really great. And um, I'm now just here pursuing the dream. I just did Jesus Christ Superstar at the Muni, and um, I'm headed to do Beehive, uh, the 1960s musical mm-hmm. at Arrow Rock Lyceum. Uh, both shows in Missouri, which is so funny to be living in New York and auditioning here like a madman, <laughs> and I keep booking shows that take me back to the Midwest, which I love because I get to see family and friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think it's it's comical that all these theaters from across the country come here to audition, and then we get to go to really wonderful places or mm-hmm. home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So sounds like you're busy, which yeah, is good. Yeah, it's I feel very blessed. So great. So you mentioned that uh, your family has a background in science and sports and all mm-hmm. that stuff. So what in particular about theater was more compelling to you than say sports or or medicine or any of that kind of stuff? I think that in any activity you do, you know, you bond with with your teammates or, you know, your patients or, you know, whatever um, activity that you're doing. But in theater, I think the unique thing there is that we get to actually bring to life other people or um, other characters and tell a story about my favorite one of my favorite Harry Parker of TCU quotes is, you know, theater is about showing what it means to be a human being. And I think, you know, in sports and in medicine or whatever field, you know, we're still being human beings. But for theater, you know, we can tell a story of, you know, maybe a real life story or not, um, but in front of thousands of people and and make them feel things that maybe they they had suppressed or um, didn't want to feel or open their eyes to a new issue or a new story. And I think that that is something that's so compelling about theater. Mm-hmm. So it's really the ability to connect with people and connect mm-hmm. with roles in a deeper way than, say, if you were doing medicine or sports. Right. I think you can connect with people in anything that you do. But in theater, I think it's a very unique niche of the way that you can you know, touch people emotionally and spiritually and um, change people's lives just from seeing you do something on stage that we might think is so silly, but you never know how much it can touch someone. Like, for example, you know, doing Disenchanted, playing this silly Disney princess, you know, the show is a comedy. It's not, there's no deep message. I mean, there's women empowerment and, and that's lovely and, and wonderful to touch on. But for the most part, we're just making people laugh for 90 minutes. And um, I got a Facebook message from a, a person that saw our show and said, you know, my best friend passed away and her favorite Disney princess was Snow White. And I know that she was there tonight watching with me. And if she, you know, were your age, I think she would be a lot like your portrayal of this character. And I just can't thank you enough for for bringing her to life tonight. Mm-hmm. And it just made me so emotional because, you know, we're, I think I'm doing the silly show, making people laugh and it's fun, but who knew it could touch someone mm-hmm. so emotionally like that? Yeah. That's always interesting. Cause you never know how somebody is going to be affected by what you do. Cause Absolutely. like you said, you could be doing a comedy, but it could affect somebody in a deeply profound way. So Absolutely. that's why theater is great. <laughs> right? 
Uh, so we did skip over kind of a big portion of your life. You do do pageantry. So oh, do you want to do you want to go into that a little bit? <laughs> sure. Um, when I was a freshman in college, my voice teacher at the time said, "You know, Shelby, have you ever thought about doing pageants?" And I said, "No. I just joined the club volleyball team. I just joined a sorority. I'm, you know, in the theater program. I don't have time to to." I don't want to do that. And um, I'd grown up watching Miss America with my mom just for fun, um, but never thought about actually doing it myself. And so I, even though I said no, I went back to my dorm room and looked up, you know, how how does one even go about competing? And uh, to compete at Miss Missouri, you have to win a local pageant. So like a Miss New York City or Miss Dallas, and then that qualifies you to go to the state competition. So I uh, read into it and I thought, you know, like, I could sing for my talent. I'm tall. I could talk to a brick wall so I could do the interview. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I think maybe I should try. And uh, the Miss America organization gives thousands of dollars in scholarship to women, which is amazing. So um, the first local pageant I could do in, I wanted to compete in my home state, Missouri, was Miss Texas County, ironically, since I was at school in Texas. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought, oh, I'll just get my feet wet. I'll just see what it's all about. And um, I wore my mom's interview suit. I sang my friend, Kim Borge from TCU. I sang her talent song. I borrowed her gowns, um, ended up winning and going to Miss Missouri and getting second runner up. And uh, it was then that I saw kind of the job of Miss Missouri. You know, it's this motivational speaker. He's been every day in schools and and other venues, motivationally speaking to young people and, and influencing your community for the better. And that might sound very cheesy, but it was very attractive to me to felt that's a job I could maybe be good at and I'd want to do it. Um, so I did uh, miss, decided to do Miss Missouri one more time and won Miss Springfield, Missouri, and then went to Miss Missouri and ended up winning on my second try and um, went to Miss America and ended up being in the top 12 and winning third in People's Choice and top 21 swimsuit bodies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah. Um, but anyway, but it was a great uh, – I had to take a year off of school and um, – I ended up making over 300 appearances and putting 26,000 miles on a car and speaking to almost 20,000 kids in the state of Missouri. So it was an amazing year. It was a whirlwind. Um, but it felt really amazing, to, much like in theater, to be using the talents that were given. And I really found a niche for public speaking. Um, so using the gifts that were given to better other people. Um, so it was really fulfilling and a wonderful experience and now trying to pursue theater i feel like if i could be in a swimsuit in front of 10 million people on tv <laughs> i could do anything so yeah. <laughs> no audition is too scary <laughs> See, i'm always learning new things because i thought that you had just started when you were a kid Mm-mm. and then maybe you had even started before you did theater i didn't know that no. you started in college which yeah. is very interesting um okay. so i say that i spent uh I think it was from my first pageant to Miss America was 21 months. Wow. So I spent a very short time in pageant land, as I yeah. call it, because it is a whole other – it's great, but it's just a whole other world, yeah, <laughs> much you, like theater. You deserve some, uh, some snaps. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so there is a lot of theatricality to pageant work. Mm-hmm. Um, what skills did you take from theater to use – in pageantry right well i think um, obviously there's the talent portion so having to perform you know at tcu or random singing things you know show choir in high school all that i think really gets into pageantry because you know a lot of girls aren't used to being on stage you know especially in a swimsuit in front of thousands of people and because i had had that exposure to you know how to compose myself and and you know mentally prepare myself to be on stage whether it be singing or pretending i'm beyonce in a swimsuit um you know, I think those skills I really learned, that stage presence and having confidence in yourself, definitely from theater um, 
went over into being Miss Missouri as well. Okay. And you also mentioned the philanthropic aspect mm -hmm. of being in pageants. Can you speak a little bit about that? Because I don't sure. think a lot of people know the extent to what you do. Because I was following you on Facebook and everything, and you were everywhere doing all kinds of things <laughs> yeah so you um miss america the organization is partnered with children's miracle network and so you're naturally your state spokesperson um when you win so i did a ton of work with them in terms of their you know fundraisers and galas but also doing hospital visits all over the the state and going in and um spending time with their patients and taking them christmas gifts and just giving them some attention to try to make their stay you know which can be dramatic and, and depressing in a hospital, maybe bring a little light to them for an hour or so. Um, and then each contestant also has a personal platform that they advocate for. So I partnered with CASA, which is a nonprofit organization that helps kids, kids of abuse and neglect in the courtroom. Um, it stands for Court Appointed Special Advocates. And they are volunteered mentors who go before the judge and say, you know, after they've spent time with uh, a child in foster care, they say, I think you know, it'd be best for this child to stay with mom and dad or to stay with one or the other or with the foster parents, um, you know, because a four-year-old can't go into the courtroom and say, mm -hmm. logically, I want to be with mom or dad or whatever. So um, it's kind of a, a dark area that I think gets brushed over a lot in society that needs a lot of attention and the foster care system needs a lot of work. So I spent a lot of time at different Casa Galas, you know, as a keynote speaker or performing, um, but then also went into a lot of rural schools where a lot of hotline calls are calls are made to the um, abuse and neglect hotline um, and spent a lot of time with those kids speaking on on anything that school thought would be helpful to, to give those kids a little light or a little inspiration um, to maybe take away from what they're dealing with at home. So it was definitely a very emotional year. I remember there were multiple times I'd be driving home in the car sobbing. Like, I cannot believe, like, I can't, you just feel stuck. You know, you want to do everything for these kids. You want to have a castle and you could just put them all in it and you can't. Um, so it definitely opened my eyes to an issue I knew needed help, but one that really, really needs some help. So, um, but on the flip side, I felt like, you know, for a year and even now it, past my time as Miss Missouri, I've still been able to, you know, be a spokesperson and, and use my followers on social media to, you know, g expose them to an area that, that needs some attention and some love. Yeah. I think it's great to hear that side of it because I knew my perception of Miss America and all that before that was just a bunch of pretty girls up there. With no you know, brain cells. <laughs> yeah. Running down a runway, uh, you know, doing talents or whatever, but it's great to hear that they all do that service. Uh, also, you mentioned that you worked at the Muni, mm -hmm. which is a prestigious theater. So would you mind just talking about your experience? How, what did the audition look like? What was your time there like? I know you had a tech in the heat for like, <laughs> yeah. you know, eight hours or whatever. So talk more about that. Sure. Um, so I actually, uh, they were doing some auditions in the city, but it was for different shows in their season that were more dance heavy. Mm -hmm. And so they did have a local singer call. Um in St. Louis. And since I'm from Missouri, I thought, you know, I'll just go home and I'll see my family, but I'll, you know, do this audition and, um, hit two birds with one stone. And so I did the, the singer call and, um, was lucky enough to make it through the day. I think there were, I don't, I think, I know there were over 800 people there. And, um, so you go in and sing and then you can make it through various rounds, um, of dance and then reading sides for different shows. And I was actually called back for two shows. I didn't, book um, and um so then the show i did book was jesus christ superstar which was so wonderful um but the rehearsal process you rehearse outside and we i think we had 10 days of rehearsal 
And um, it's in a pavilion, so you're under the shade, but there's like little pieces of like cotton and pollen like flying everywhere. And like a couple of times, I think we all inhaled like these huge pieces of cotton as we're, you know, hitting these huge high notes of this like Andrew Lloyd Webber score. Um, but so it was crazy learning this whole, and in Jesus Christ Superstar, there's no scenes. So um, I was in the ensemble and there's a lot, it's an ensemble heavy show. There's a ton of, um, you know, big vocal numbers. And and then John Rua was choreographing. So it was this very um, Hamilton, Andy Blankenbuehler type movement. Um, so doing that in the heat also, um, even though I was doing more of kind of a singer track, I was still having to dance a little bit, which was good for me and fun. Um, but doing that in, 80 degree weather was a little taxing. So, um, so we rehearse outside, I think kind of as a precursor to kind of get you exposed to, cause the theater's outside. It's an 11,000 seat theater, um, outside in forest park, which is amazing, but it's also strange cause there's no sound coming back to you. There's no echo, like it just goes out into the abyss and you hope it's right. But, um, so Anyway, so we have rehearsal, and then uh, the shows are in the evening at 8 o'clock, obviously, or 8.15, when the sun goes starts going down. But we did have to do a tech rehearsal. It's called Sweat Tech, and everyone was required to wear sunscreen, bug spray, and a hat. You could not be on stage without a hat. We weren't allowed to touch the stage because it was literally sizzling. Wow. Um, and a lot of these, you know, Jesus-following crowd scenes, you know, we're kneeling or praying. And so they're like, just do not touch the stage. You will burn yourself. <laughs> um, so it was... I think I burned so many calories in water weight that day. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> um, but then once we got past that, I think they also do that so that nothing is as bad as sweat tech. When you're doing the shows, even though it's still hot and, you know, we had so many wigs and we're in, you know, thick clothing um, of this time period, uh, nothing was as bad <laughs> as sweat tech. So, um, but then you just do the show for a week and then it's done. It's a real quick contract, but um as you said, it, it's a, an amazing theater to work at and it has a, an incredible reputation and their production quality is insane. So I had a really fun time and it was also really wonderful to brush shoulders with people who have been on Broadway multiple times and are doing what you hope to do eventually in your life and um, just to be around them and, and hear what their funny stories and um, their success stories. Um, it was really wonderful. And you said that, that it's an 11,000 mm -hmm. seat theater. So were, were those always full or? I'd say, I don't think it was ever sold out. I think it's hard to sell out 11,000 yeah, seats. Definitely. Um, but one of the great things about the Muni is they provide a ton of free tickets to people in St. Louis. So um, the it was always full you know, from the front to the back, like all the way to the back seats. Um, but then on the side, sometimes it would not be as full. But I mean, I think, I know that one night we we had for sure 10,000 people there. Um, so it was definitely very full. It was always full all the way to the back, but I think it's hard to sell out 11,000 people. Definitely. So That's still thousands of people though. Mm -hmm. So what is it like performing in front of a crowd that large as opposed to, you know, in college we were performing in front of 300 people, 400 people? Well, I think uh, you definitely have to contour your face a lot more so they can mm -hmm. see that you have cheekbones. But um, <laughs> uh, I think that what I learned anyway was when we were performing in front of 300 people, you know, a lot of people can see your face and see up close, especially at various theaters in TCU where you know, it's a thrust stage. People are on all sides of you um, or three sides of you. But when you're in 10,000 people, it's more about the big picture and what does the stage look like from so far away. Um, so it really became, obviously we're still using our face and acting, but it became more about having to have bigger gestures and bigger choices because, you know, the people in the back row need to see what you're feeling, even though they can't see your face. Um, 
but also, you know, being a person of faith, it was really an incredible experience to share this story of Jesus's last week on earth in this pop opera mm-hmm. way to 10,000 people every night. Even if you're not a believer to watch, you know, someone give up his life for all these other people who had done him wrong is incredible, regardless of what you believe to watch a human be that selfless, I think is very moving. So it was beautiful to be a part of that, a very small part of that story. Um, And, you know, we had Constantine from American Idol. He played Judas and uh, it was unbelievable to hear his vocal stamina through that score. And um, Sierra Renee was a beautiful Mary Magdalene and um, our Jesus was like Jesus in real life. He let me come over to his apartment and do my laundry because my hotel room <laughs> didn't have free laundry. Nice. Um, so he was, you know, so kind. And um, it was just wonderful to be around so many talented, but also great, loving people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, let's get into that. Uh, I've been asking everyone to think of an inspirational show, mm-hmm. and you said Jesus Christ Superstar. So you touched on it briefly, mm-hmm. but if you can expand on this, why is this show inspirational to you? I think that. In as we said in theater, you know, you're telling a story and you're you're bringing you know fictional or non-fictional characters to life. And to be, we did a very realistic version of the show. Obviously, there's a huge Studio 54 number that is not realistic at all. But um, you know, the story and and the relationship with Jesus and Mary Magdalene and Jesus and Judas and Jesus and his followers um, to really be a part of showing that. Because, you know, we read about it in the Bible. We watch it in movies. Um, we read, you know, different parables and stuff. But to be a part of showing it in real life, what it was like, was just the most moving thing. And then to come out at the end and, you know, we watched Jesus be crucified every single night in front of 10,000 people. And, you know, you couldn't help but get emotional. And, you know, the minute he takes his last breath, I mean, it was just so easy to sob. Like, it wasn't even acting because it was just so... And the audience is just, I mean, you could hear a pin drop. It was just silent. Um, So being a part of telling a story that is so close to my, you know, faith and my morals, it just makes you feel so much more vulnerable than, and I'm not saying any show I've done before this is not as inspiring or not as moving, but just to be a, a part of telling a story that is so close to my heart made it much more inspiring for me personally um, to feel like you know, as an actor, you're falling in love with Jesus every night and you're watching him be selfless for you. And and then it was just a great reminder spiritually also of this story. And I, for me personally, you know, moving to New York, it's so go, go, go all the time. It's so busy. I'm traveling all the time. You know, it's hard to, and it's not an excuse, but it's hard to, you know, go to church regularly or do your morning devos when you're running to sign up for this audition at oh, dark 30. Um, so to be a part of this story, really brought me back to my my core and my faith and um, a part of me that I think gets pushed to the side when the schedule gets crazy, which again, sounds bad. And I just admitted that on your podcast, <laughs> but but it's true. You no know? one's perfect. <laughs> so, um, you know, being a part of, of this story and on such a grand scale with so, such incredibly wonderful human beings on and off stage um, made it really inspiring for me and for people who may not know the story can you give me a brief description of what the show is about sure so it's um jesus's last week on earth basically so it goes through um you know his accumulating all these followers and you know who they his disciples and then um you know judas's betrayal and the last supper um 
you know, through his trial with Pilate and, um, and then into the, the crucifixion. And, um, he has this great song that is so long. I don't know how he did it vocally, but um, Jesus, where you know he's asking God, "Why did you pick me? Why should I die? Why you know do it quick before I change my mind?" Um, and then in the end, you know he does obviously get crucified, as we all know. Um, but in our version as well, instead of just having it end with the crucifixion, um, you know he dies, and then mary magdalene um looks out into the audience and as she looks out there's this white light and it's to signify you know his resurrection um so that was and then you know she looks out sees the light and blackout so it ends in a beautiful picture despite the tragedy that just happened um so that's kind of but it's as i said there's no scenes it's a pop opera so it's all you know i was singing a soprano track so i'm hitting notes up in god's (laughs) land that aren't even on the staff um Mm -hmm. but uh the music is incredibly challenging um but beautiful and and very um i've i found a lot in the choreography you know you didn't have to what am i feeling here the music just told you what you were feeling by by the beats and and the rhythms and the notes so it was um it's a great show it's brilliantly written yeah and I'm no theater historian, but I believe that the show started in the 70s on yes. Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it had a revival in like the 80s and the 90s. Can you see it having a revival at any point in the future? I could. I think that it would be a lot of people who were involved, you know, kept relating it to various things that are going on right now in, in the world and and no matter where you are politically. Um you know, or, or any other issues going on, but that this story could relate to those things as well. Um, and so I could see that it, it really brought a lot of people together and, and was kind of a unifying um, thing. So I could definitely see a revival of it being done, especially with, you know, how um, popular Andrew Lloyd Webber still is. But this music is different, I feel like, from anything else that he has, he has done. Um, so I could totally see it being revived. I think, and I think what made it so wonderful at the Muni was that so many age groups could relate to it because it did come out in the seventies. So you know, my dad was so geeked to come see it. He's mm-hmm. like, "I know all these songs. My parents <laughs> listen to this. Like, I'm so excited," you know. And and so you know, all age groups people know it from the seventies, and then it, when when it was revived, but then you know, people our age know it because it's such a huge show that is done often regionally. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be a great hit, great yeah. success. So I'm going to ask you a tough question. Okay, I'm ready. Do you think that religion has a place in today's theater world? That is a tough question. That's a very loaded question. Uh, you know, I do. I think that I think that so often, and I found this in in competing in pageants too, but so often we're told to you know, walk the fine line between having an opinion but not too much of opinion and being educated but not offending anyone and and of course, I wouldn't want to offend anyone with intertwining religion and theater because I know that there are a lot of people in theater who don't believe anything, and that's totally fine. You know, I'm going to love you regardless. But I think that there are a lot of people that that do believe in something, and so I feel like a lot of religious shows don't make it very far in the theater world because maybe that group is is not as big, or people are worried about the risk it could have, or the reviews, or the effect. But um, what I learned from Jesus Christ Superstar was that regardless of your religion, watching those stories and watching those human beings make choices to better other people is inspiring no matter what you believe. Mm-hmm. So I think if people came at it from the human aspect of it and less about, you know, it being a Bible beater or it, you know, 
shoving something in your face. Um, I think that it could be a really wonderful thing. Um, but then it just gets tricky to find people that are willing to take that risk with you. Definitely. That's a very eloquent answer. Thank you. Of course. <laughs> so one more question for sure. you. I've been asking everybody this. Maybe you've thought about it. Maybe you haven't. What is your dream role and why? Oh, Lord. <laughs> um, it can be for any reason. It can be <laughs> any role. <laughs> um, you know, I would love to be Grace and Annie. I love Annie. I grew up watching it, and I actually played that role when I was like 12 <laughs> in children's theater. Um, but I just love the story so much, and um, I think that that role is is something that's in my wheelhouse and kind of my type, if you will. Um, but I just, I love the story and it goes, you know, with everything that I love. So um, I would definitely enjoy doing that. And then of course there's the cliche, like I'd love to be Elf Bun Wicked also, but you know, <laughs> of course. so who wouldn't love to do that? So I'd say that those are maybe my main two okay. dream roles for sure. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you again for coming on. Uh, where can everybody find you next? You said you're doing something in August. Yes, yeah, so I'm leaving in August to go do Beehive, the 60s musical um, mm -hmm. at Arrow Rock Lyceum Theater back in Missouri. So I get to go home for a little bit. So I'm very excited about that um, right. and excited to sing some uh, shoo-boppy-doo tunes. Yeah. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're in the area in August, go check out Shelby. Thanks again, Shelby. Uh, you're one of my great friends from college. So that means a lot for me to have you on. And yeah, your opinion is uh, great. Well, thanks for having <laughs> me on the show. It's been a true pleasure. And I'm glad I get to spend some time with you and, and sweet Sophie. All right. Thanks. Yep. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of The Ghost Light. Once again, a subscription and rating on whatever service you use is greatly appreciated. Next week, James Jin drops by the studio. James runs a popular blog called Dancers of New York, where he photographs dancers of all types and interviews them about their struggles and their joys. As a fellow interviewer, chatting with James was a real treat. See you next time at The Ghost Light. Ghost Light.